The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother, her Lazarus, who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face unwrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let them go. The Gospel of the Lord. Greetings, One Fellowship family and friends. Pastor Paul here, and I'm so excited to dive into John 11 with you today. But before we do, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth 
in the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer to the church, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. When was the last time you were scared out of your mind? In the fall of 2013, our family was invited to an epic family reunion at Disney World. My brother's family would be there, my parents would be there, and we would be there. It was going to be amazing. So in good Sorensen fashion, we did our research before the trip on the latest Disney parks and attractions, and we decided we needed to devote one day to Animal Kingdom. Have any of you been to Animal Kingdom before? Raise your hand. Taylor, Jonathan, others? Yes. Well, we went to Animal Kingdom, and one of the rides we were told we needed to go on is called Dinosaur. Our kids were five, seven, and nine at the time, and Blaze, our seven-year-old, measured just big enough to join Carly and Caden and myself on this ride. Now, looking back, Blaze did express hesitancy that day about going on the ride because he thought it might be scary. Yet as a good dad, I had assured him that he would be fine and it would be fun. Well, guess what? I was wrong. Whoever made that ride has a twisted mind. Because in it, there are dinosaurs eating other dinosaurs and dinosaurs trying to kill you the whole time. Oh, and then there's this giant asteroid that you're told is going, going to uh, ensure mass destruction and extinction. And then mid-ride, everything goes dark to incite hysteria for all ages. Not that I was affected at all. Here are some pictures from the ride Dinosaur. Yep, there's one of the dinosaurs eating another dinosaur. Let's go to the next picture. Yep, there's one of the scary T-Rexes from this ride. And last picture, I have no words. That's an awful, awful sight. And that's in the ride at Animal Kingdom at Disney World. I think that last dinosaur, the sadistic dinosaur with those little evil horns, wins the award for the scariest of them all. Well, I, actually I mean Blaze, did an incredible job of holding it all together until the very end of the ride. At which point I turned to him and his face just crumbled and he burst into tears. I don't think that little guy talked to me for days. And you know what? I don't blame him. The ride was terrifying. Now, turning the opening question back to you, have you ever been scared out of your mind? Perhaps it was over something silly like the ride at Animal Kingdom or perhaps it was over something much, much more serious. 
When was the last time you were so bent out of sorts you found yourself crumbling or you found yourself crying? If we're honest, life has a way of coming at us in unexpected and even painful ways, doesn't it? Where before we know it, we're somehow bent. Or even before we know it, we're somehow feeling broken. Well, as we turn our attention to our passage for today, we see two sisters facing the worst of news, turning them inside out in the worst of ways. Their struggles, excuse me, their struggles are raw and real. And yet we see Jesus respond to their cries in their crisis in a beautiful and unexpected way. This leads us to our big idea, our big takeaway from John 11 today. Friends, with all of our questions and all of our pain, Jesus promises to deliver us from our darkest day. Point one, with all of our questions and all of our pain, let's dive into John 11. The passage begins, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. And so the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Further on, we read, when Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So a couple of years ago, a gentleman in our church called and asked to grab coffee with me. In that meeting, he shared that his elderly father was struggling with Alzheimer's disease and couldn't remember who he was or who any of the family members were. It was painful for them. To make matters worse, this gentleman shared how the disease had become so severe that the family had resorted to putting him in a special care facility that was costing all of them a lot of money. It's something they hadn't anticipated or planned for. Thus, it was not only painful for them, it was costly for them. Then the gentleman shared with tears in his eyes and his voice softening how his childhood had been very difficult, especially with his dad, as his parents had employed lots of corporal punishment for he and his siblings. As a result, he confessed to me that he was not only struggling at the time with losing the dad he had had, but he was struggling with losing the dad he would never have. He confessed that he was sad and that he was angry. You see, this man was grieving and his grief was 
raw. It was real, and it was layers deep. In the words of the late Frederick Beekner, you can kiss your family and friends goodbye and put miles between you, but at the same time, you carry them in your heart, in your mind, in your stomach, because you do not just live in a world, but a world lives in you. And you see, part of the world inside of this gentleman from our church was aching in dying. He was struggling to make sense of it all. He would go on to ask me, Pastor Paul, if God is good, why would he allow so much pain and so much suffering? And Paul, if God is good, why would he allow so many of my prayers to go unanswered? Perhaps you too have struggled with these same kind of questions. Perhaps you too have experienced a grief that is layers deep. Maybe it's from a lost loved one, a lost friend, or a lost dream. Perhaps you too know what it's like to have part of the world inside of you die within you. And perhaps you too have struggled to make sense of it all. I know I have. So now turning to our passes, this is the kind of raw engagement we see in John 11, where we see an unrestrained human response to suffering and then Jesus's tender response to those who actually cry out to him. So first, let's look at the human response. Right out of the gate in John 11, we're told two sisters who are close to Jesus, Martha and Mary, call for Jesus on behalf of their brother Lazarus, who is sick. Trusting that Jesus would do something, shockingly, we read that Jesus initially does nothing. He doesn't run to their aid. He doesn't send aid. Again, Jesus does nothing. In fact, in verses 5 and 6, we read, quote, Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place he was. Um, Does this strike you as callous or even neglectful? He just stayed where he was. It strikes me in this way. Next, in verses 17 and 18, we read, quote, When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Again, um, Jesus, you're close to offer aid, but you do nothing to bring aid. Again, it's unsettling and shocking to read Jesus's initial response. Looking at the ensuing verses, when Jesus finally does arrive, we read that Martha and Mary are heartbroken. Why? Because their brother, Lazarus, has died. And we read that when the sisters finally are able to confront Jesus, each in their unique way, they share the same deep sadness and disappointment with Jesus. Martha first comes out with grief mixed with still a thread of hope and says in verse 21, 
Quote, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Mary, meanwhile, cannot even look at Jesus until sometime later. When she finally comes out, she falls at his feet weeping, and in verse 32 also says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Both sisters come to Jesus with raw, real, and layered grief. Both come to Jesus with questions, not only questioning his actions or lack thereof, but ultimately questioning his very character. They're essentially asking, Jesus, we thought you were good, but you were nowhere to be found. So what are we to make of this first half of our passage? What are we to make of Jesus's apparent absence in the sisters' unrestrained questions and pain? Well, first, if it's not clear, the Lord's timing is not always our timing, is it? As we see here and throughout the Bible, the Lord will act how he wants, when he wants, and where he wants. And as we will see in just a minute, catch this, unanswered prayers do not mean we have an uninterested God. Rather, often it means the Lord has a sovereign plan that's unfolding behind us, around us, and before us in ways we might not see or even understand. And second, this first half of our passage shows one more critical reality, and it's that the Lord can handle all of our questions and all of our pain. While some of us have grown up in homes and in churches that taught us not to talk about our problems or express our pain, our passage paints the opposite picture. You see, in it, Martha and Mary opened the floodgates of their hearts to Jesus, bringing their sadness, their grief, and even their anger to Jesus. And you know what? We can do the same. Why? Well, this leads us to point two. Jesus promises to deliver us from our darkest day. The passage continues, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And later our passage would go on to read, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face 
wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. So as we read this second half of our passage, two things are meant to grab our hearts. First, in the face of anguish and pain, Jesus doesn't offer answers. He offers himself. Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Then he asks her, do you believe this? Now to our modern minds, this might seem offensive as we're often told we are what we know or we are what we have. Thus, we are obsessed with knowing and having, aren't we? Give us the answers, Jesus, we ask. Give us a solution, Jesus, we demand. And yet what Jesus says here is that we don't need all of the answers and we don't need a quick fix. What we need is him. And the second thing that is meant to grab our hearts in this half of our passage is that death is not just a Lazarus problem. It's a societal problem. It's a problem for you and it's, it's a problem for me. We all not only face dark days, we all will face the darkest of days. In Romans 5, verse 12, we read, when Adam, our common forefather, sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And that's why the people of Israel so desperately longed for a Savior. It's why they cried out for a Messiah to come and fulfill, fulfill Hosea 13, 14, where God had promised, quote, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? You see, the people then, like all of us now, needed a Savior. It's the macro story behind the micro story of John 11. Lazarus not only needed someone to give him new life, all of us at some point need someone to give us new life. And that's why Jesus and his words are so powerful. And it's why Jesus and his actions are so irresistible. Jesus says to his original audience, and he says to you and me, Taylor, Jonathan, Allie, Carly, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked of each one of us. Later, he would go on to back up these words in a way no one would have expected by taking on death, death on a cross, so you and I don't have to. 
C.S. Lewis would later get to the heart of this point by writing, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And this is true not just for Lazarus. It's true for you and it's true for me. With every scary diagnosis, with every frightening day, Jesus wants us to know that we can face any circumstance knowing we will be secure on the final day. And he asked us, just as he asked Martha, do you believe this? Is your trust in me? You see, with all of our questions and all of our pain, Jesus promises to deliver us from our darkest day. So as we wrap up this message, I invite you to take two next steps. First, bring your heart, your raw and real heart to Jesus today. Perhaps like the gentleman in our church who had lost his dad and was teeming with questions, you are raw and even questioning the very goodness of God today. As we see here in John 11, it's okay to bring your questions and your pain to Jesus. We read that Jesus actually wept with Mary. And he will honor the honesty you bring to him. The pattern of the faithful actually We read about in Scripture from King David to Jeremiah to Isaiah is of men and women who shout, who cry, who are unafraid to bring the Lord their pain. And this leads to a second invitation. Trust your life to Jesus today. So often we approach faith with a what have you done for me lately God mentality. If we're sick, we want immediate healing. If we're broke, we want immediate blessing. If we're struggling, we want immediate relief. But here's the thing that's not mentioned in our passage. The resurrection of Lazarus was meant to point us to a better tomorrow, not create an obsession over today. You see, Lazarus, just like all of us, would go on to die another mortal death. Have you ever considered that? Thus, what this passage aims to make clear is that we can trust Jesus with our today because he's secured our tomorrow. So Taylor, you can trust Jesus today because he's secured your tomorrow. Allie, you can trust Jesus today because he's secured your tomorrow. Carly, you can trust Jesus today because he's secured your tomorrow. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Friends, Believe in Jesus today.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story. It's our story. We recognize that so often we're raw inside. We don't quite see or understand everything happening to us or around us. God, we just bring our hearts, our bent hearts, our broken hearts to you, our questions to you today. And with those questions, we say we believe. We believe you are good and you have a sovereign plan over us because we see the love and sacrifice of Jesus. We turn afresh to you and we place our trust in you today. We believe. We believe. We believe. In Jesus' name, amen.